You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. So we're continuing to dive into our series here. This is the third week in the Sermon of the Mount. And um, really what's happened in the beginning of this, Matthew chapter 5, is Jesus begins the greatest sermon ever given. He's going through the details of the life that is guaranteed to be blessed by God. That's what's happening. He's like, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. He's like, here is the life I guarantee that will be blessed in a joy and a happiness and a fulfillment that the world does not even have a clue about, but is only found in the supernatural life lived in Jesus Christ. Okay, This is what we are uh, continuing to do. We are in the Beatitudes as we do this as well. So as we get started today, and specifically in verses 5 and 6, many of you will know that my favorite sport uh, is football. Uh, I grew up playing it. I played it for 13 years in before uh, high school, in high school, in university. I've coached it for many, many years, and of course now I watch it as well. Uh, My favorite uh, long-suffering team is the Buffalo Bills. Many of you will know that as well. Uh, Many tears over the years, absolutely. Much pain, much suffering, much perseverance has been required. It's really a nice compliment to the need of the Beatitudes in my life as well. But in recent years, in recent years as a Bills fan, there's been more hope. There has been more hope. It's been quite exciting. And one of the main reasons is, is the coach. His name is Sean McDermott. He is a man of high character. And you could see as soon as he came in, all these disastrous, you know, coaches over the years, he comes in, man of character, and he has for sure, he has a faith of some kind for sure. Again, I can't see into his heart, whatever, but a Christian faith of some kind, and it's made a huge difference. It's really interesting to me that one of the things that really blessed me when he came in and kind of his leadership upon the team was his motto for the Bills. And his motto was this. It was humble and hungry. I'm like, really? Like, (laughs) humble and hungry. Because, I mean, if you've been around this church for a bit, and maybe it's been a bit since you've heard this, but from the beginning, we've often had three H's biblically describing a disciple within this church. And those would be humility, hunger, and holiness. And that has been something we have repeated again for many, many years over different times. And so, again, I've been so encouraged as I'm cheering for this team. And here's this coach that's taken at least two-thirds of what we would hold, again, so dear. How they're applied is who knows exactly, right? But again, here right now in this place, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, the three main components of what that looks like we're going to see today right from our passage is humility, hunger, and holiness is essential to being blessed by Jesus Christ within our lives. In fact, in Matthew 5, verses 5 and 6, again, this is what's being said. And that's, again, our text today. And our title today, then, is this. All to be humble, hungry, and holy. Again, this is what our passage is saying. In many ways, for the church of Jesus Christ, then, this should be our motto as we seek to live our lives authentically in Christ. We want to be humble and hungry and holy. Why? Because this is, listen carefully, this is 100% guaranteed to be blessed. A genuine pursuit. Maybe you're visiting with us today. I'm so glad you're here. I don't know exactly where you're coming from. The Lord does. You need to be aware, okay? No matter where you come from, where you are, 100% guaranteed blessing in your life is if you pursue the humility in Christ, a hunger for the righteousness of Christ, and a holiness only found in Christ. And notice the common denominator in all of that is Christ. It's not us, it's Christ. Jesus is the answer. 
When you pursue humility, hunger, and holiness, 100% you are guaranteed to be in the path of blessing and reward as Jesus Christ promises as well. You know what I think about often too is often I think we make our lives so complicated and um, it doesn't need to be. We make our lives so complicated of all these different factors, whatever. I mean, I think Jesus wants us to simplify it and he just wants us to understand, man, he's like, my child, son, daughter, if, if you just pursue humility before me, hunger for me, and of holiness in me, he's like, your life will start to have massive impact and change. Hey, hey, loved ones, let's stop making life so complicated. Like, like shut down the noise, man. Like, like, like close down the apps. Like, like, just stop with all the news all the time, man. Take away social media for a bit. Stop pursuing all these other things that just add confusion and complication and distraction. And you're like, just put it away for a bit and look at Christ. This is what's happening in the Beatitudes. Like, try that for a few months and see what happens. We make it, we make it so complicated. Christ is like, I never asked you to do all those things. I never asked you to be a frenzied about all these other things that are happening. I want you to be about me. I want you to pursue me in hunger and thirsting for righteousness and to see the power of meekness and humility upon your life. So look, at, look, at, look at Matthew 5. We have two verses today. We're really going out on a limb here trying to get through two verses, but we're going to try to do that today. And trust me, it was tough this week, man. So we got to keep moving. But look at Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he says, blessed are those happy, fulfilled, eternally content, is what blessed means. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be, one of my favorite words in the Bible right here, what's that last word again? Satisfied or filled. Satisfied, man, that's so needed in our day. So again, one more time I'll say this. Here's the life guaranteed to be blessed by God, supernaturally guaranteed to be blessed by God. So, I mean, if we're wise, we're like, I'm all in. If we're dumb, we're like, no, I'm moving on to what the world wants. So anyways, but if we're wise, we're like, yep, yep, this is the path. I want to follow it. You're like, pastor, help me understand. Okay, let's do that together. If I want God's blessing on my life, number one, number one, two points today, number one, I must understand the magnitude of meekness. I must understand the magnitude of meekness. So Jesus begins in verse five. He says, blessed are the meek, Uh, happy, fulfilled, uh, internally content are the meek. Question for you today, uh, how would you define the word meek? How would you define meekness? I I find it's a word that's not often used. I mean, it is sometimes, but not often. Often we have different synonyms for this word we might want to apply. How would you define meekness? Take a moment, I just would love you to consider to yourself a word that's not often used, but it's a word biblically that has exceptional depth, as we're going to see here huge life change. Let's remember contextually too, okay? When the Jewish people heard the rumors that the Messiah had arrived, right? There was massive amounts of talking going on and the buzz of the ministry of this Jesus of Nazareth and the miracles he was doing and the commotion that was starting around and surrounding him, just, just incredible things were going on. The Jewish person, when they heard that the Messiah might be here, they immediately went to military hero, a man of conquest that would set them free from their Roman oppressors. Okay, This is what they were wanting. This is what their idea of the Messiah would be. The one who has come to set us free physically 
from the tyrants that oppress us. Jesus stands up in the third line of the greatest sermon ever, and he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, not exactly William Wallace, okay? Not exactly, you can take our lives, but you'll never take our freedom, and they all go and die to the death for battle. Not exactly what Jesus is saying there. And yet, what he says, blessed are the meek, is the eternal pathway for victory of eternal life. It's just so counter to what we think so much to say as they come to bring salvation to the world and all who follow him. And he knows what he's doing. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So when we think of meekness, one way to look at this as well, meekness, or if we, if we go back to verse 3, poor in spirit is primarily how I view myself. Right? I see that poor in spirit is I see I'm spiritually bankrupt. I see that I have nothing to offer in myself. I see that I am in desperate need of a Savior to save me from myself. Meekness is more primarily how I relate now to God and others around me. Poor in spirit morning, how I relate to myself, how I see myself. Meekness primarily how I view God or others around me and the difference it makes when meekness or humility starts to fill my life. I also want you to notice the chronological sequence of the Beatitudes because this is a big deal. They are in this order for a reason, right? So notice this. Poor in spirit is fundamentally first. That leads to a mourning over sin. I see I have nothing. I mourn over my sin before God. And then notice it's brokenness that leads to meekness. This is brokenness, these things put together. You will not find meekness apart from these things happening first. That's very, very important for us to understand. The person who is meek must be broken. The person who's going to demonstrate the fruit of meekness must understand this sequence happening in their lives before a holy God, before the fruit of that will be seen from your life or from mine. Meekness, again, very powerful. Let's unpack now specifically in more detail this biblical word of meekness. Um, on the screen beside me or behind me, let's just a few other words. Because in the English language, it's very hard in one word to define meekness. So let's then unpack it with a few other words, a few other synonyms. Meekness is gentleness. It is gentleness. Remember, gentleness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same root word as Matthew 5.5. 5. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 11.29, Jesus said but himself, I am gentle, same word as Matthew 5.5, 5. I am gentle and lowly in heart. So notice here, Jesus says, I am meek, I am gentle and lowly in heart. The more we become like Jesus Christ, the more than automatically gentleness, meekness, starts to become a part of our character as well. The closer we get to Christ, the more gentle in spirit, the more loving and meek we become as well. We have good days and bad days, of course, but we're moving in that direction. Notice right away, too, then, if, if meekness ultimately comes from Christ or the Holy Spirit, right? Remember, notice, meekness then can't be manufactured. You don't wake up. We don't wake up in one morning and say, okay, today I'm going to be meek. I'm going to put my little recipe in my little smoothie, spiritual smoothie formula, blend it up and drink it down. I'm meek today. We can't do that. 
Meekness is of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Him working in us. It is being changed from one degree of glory to another, His work of grace in our lives. Think of it too, right? Meekness closely related to gentleness, fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Where does the fruit of the Spirit come from? The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Robbie, right? Right? It's not the fruit of, of, of you. It's, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to see that fruit in our lives, it's coming from the Spirit of God who dwells within us if we are genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness is gentleness. So this is when we got to be practical and we have to just be honest with ourselves. When we are mean-spirited, when we are harsh with others, when we have outbursts of anger, when we go through moments of rage, when we power over people, abusing our authority in various situations, let's be very clear. None of those are meekness. All of those are sin. Let's not try to slap a spiritual label upon a sinful outburst of rage and anger. We're just kidding ourselves, and we're certainly not fooling the Lord. When our lives are built on such moments and pursuits of anger, harshness, abusing authority, rage, let's be also clear, that is a life God will not bless. He does not bless such things. There are some of us in this room, we think God does bless anger and sinful resentment and rage and we try to convince ourselves when we're doing this somehow they deserve it and we're entitled no no blessed are the meek not blessed are the moronic no blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth by the way, too, if, if, if anger, let's say, sinful anger, there is a righteous anger, but if, if, if anger, sinful anger, is our issue, then verse 5 is not happening, right? Meekness is not happening. We need to go back to verses 3 and 4 because that's the pathway to meekness. If I have serious issues with rage or whatever it is, I need to be poor in spirit. I need to mourn over sin. I need to be right before a holy God, and then the fruit of meekness has a chance to be seen through my life because the person who is bearing the fruit and the evidence and character of meekness, they are not a person that's going to be in a position to sin in the ways that we just described because the one who is meek has power under control as, as we will see as well. So meekness is gentleness. Meekness is also this. It's, it's, it's humility. We've already said this in some way. So meekness can be defined as this. I love this. Okay, listen carefully. Meekness can be defined as a controlled desire to see others advance. I'll say that again. Meekness can be defined as a controlled desire to see others advance in our lives. Moses is called in the Pentateuch the meekest man, the humblest man on earth. And I love that story when others are prophesying, Moses is the main leader, others are prophesying, Joshua, young Joshua, he sees that others are prophesying and he's afraid these other people will steal the thunder of Moses. And he runs up to Moses and he tells Moses what's happening. These other people are prophesying and Moses senses that Joshua is jealous for the sake of Moses. 
And then Moses says this in his incredible meekness. He says, Joshua, would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. That is meekness. A controlled desire to see others advance. By the way, do you think Joshua remembered that moment? (laughs) For the rest of his life, Joshua was like, whoa, man, I did not see that coming. And that was an awesome lesson of humility and meekness within his life that Moses, again, was exemplifying there. So under the category of humility, notice meekness will also be this. Meekness is also a refusal to defend oneself. So a huge part of meekness is you know you're under the care and the sovereign rule of God Almighty. When we are growing in meekness, that means increasingly we trust the Lord with everything. Meekness trusts the Lord with our reputations, our rights, our future, our justice. Jesus, the perfection of meekness, 1 Peter 2 says that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, but listen to this, he continued to entrust himself to the one who acts justly. That's Jesus. He entrusted his future to his Father in heaven who is sovereign over all judgment and all time and every human being who's ever lived. Meekness refuses to defend oneself because we trust the Lord that he knows much better and he will do. That's, that's powerful. That's, that's convicting. Meekness also then leads to contentment. See, when we are not filled with contentment, we lack meekness because meekness is constantly aware that I, if I'm saved in Christ, I am in Christ... And if I am in Christ, then I have the greatest treasure that I could, the infinitely valuable treasure of eternal life in Jesus Christ. If I have him, honestly, theologically speaking, what else do I need then? Meekness understands that. So meekness operates out of every day I wake up and I'm like, I have been given the eternal treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, there's nothing else I ultimately need. So meekness is dripping from the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, right? By the way, this is a great kind of companion to the Beatitudes so far that we've gone through. As sorrowful, mourning, right? Yet always rejoicing. As poor, he has nothing, yet making many rich in the gospel, many rich for Jesus. They have Jesus Christ. Notice this, I love this. He's like, we have nothing, nothing in an earthly sense, but we possess everything in a spiritual sense. That's meekness. That's meekness. Having nothing, possessing everything. Uh, All the leaders in the room, everyone in the room. Like, I really encourage you to walk around in life and remind yourself of the gospel out loud and to recite all that you've been blessed with, all that you have in Jesus Christ, as a powerful attack on the lies that confront us on a daily basis of all the things the world says we need. It is so powerful to say, there's nothing else I need. I possess everything in Jesus Christ. When you desire that next new gadget, you desire that next new promotion, you desire that next whatever thing for your house or car or vacation, whatever, and you can look those things in the face, I do not need it. I have everything in Christ. That's meekness. 
Meekness is harnessing the reality of what we've been given, again, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Meekness is powerful, too, because it comes through a low view of self. I love this, right? So when, when you're growing in meekness, you're not really impressed with self, right? So, like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, right? You're not very impressed with yourself when you see yourself as poor in spirit and mourning over your sin before God, and you move into meekness, so you're not really impressed with yourself at all. A great test of true meekness, then, is this. How defensive do we become when we're attacked or when we're accused? That's an important one. Hey, are you super sensitive when people attack you or accuse you? For some of us, it's like, man, even just so much, a, 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 a suggestion of anything other than we're perfect. And we're like, and we, sort of scary there, yeah. <laughs> but we like, we pounce in, the t- in our defense and our, and our inner lawyer comes up in so many different ways. And we're, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we start, and that is the opposite of meekness. Sorry for the conviction. I'm not really, but you know, but. I want you to just think, of this, just don't want to rush through this right now because I want the Holy Spirit to be able to just apply on several levels. Meekness is like, well, at the end of the day, if I view myself as I say I do, well, then when I'm accused, I'm like, yeah, you got a good point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so great, and I got, and I got issues. So um, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. I love this stuff, man. It's so good. He says this. He says, to, truly, to be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there's nothing worth defending. Yes, that's good. Not good. It's so anti-flesh and so anti-world. Let's just look at that for a second again. Just let the cycles of conviction set in. So good. Right? So like, but meekness is like, I'm not going to protect myself because in the end, there's nothing worth defending. Um, John Stott picking up on this. He was a great preacher. Picking up with Lloyd-Jones, he said this. He says, I myself am quite happy to recite the general confession in the church, which, which included this phrase, and call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no problem, he said. I can take it in stride. But let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch them in the nose. Right? Like, like, that's really good too, right? Like, that's something that for, for like my own self, it's easy for me to call myself a sinner and for me to do that when someone else comes up and calls me a sinner. That's a different ball game, and that just shows, again, the sinfulness in my heart or your heart, whatever it is, but meekness in the end says, I'm a sinner. Someone else says, you're a sinner, and you're like, you're right, I'm a sinner. A growing meekness, you're not so defensive about the truth that lies within Meekness is gentleness, meekness is humility, but um, make sure you understand this, meekness is also strength. Now, I love, love this a lot, okay? So let's be really careful. We think of meekness. In this sense, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not flabby. Meekness is not wimpy. Meekness is not cowardice. Meekness is, hear me, hear me, it is not a lack of conviction. Meekness is not timidity and cowering in the corner, afraid of any situation. That is not biblical meekness. Meekness is strength. Strength, listen, under control. I love that definition. It's strength under control and dispensed with wisdom. If you think of a wild horse, right, or a wild stallion who's been tamed, you have a animal in that situation that has immense strength 
that is now under control, that is powerful and beautiful. The strength of that, again, stallion or wild horse has now been harnessed to be used with tremendous effectiveness and fruitfulness. That's meekness. I think a good example of this in the Bible is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, the sovereign God, the Lamb of God, the one who will judge the living and the dead, the, the great I Am, he, he, he stoops down and takes on one of the lowest examples of humility the world has ever known, and he washes the feet, that debased practice in that time for the lowliest of servants. He washes the disciples' feet in active humility and meekness. But here what I love about that thing. As he's washing the disciples' feet, no one in that room questions who's in charge. Every single person knows exactly who's in charge at that precise moment because they know where the power lies. Meekness. That's a beautiful example of Jesus exercising and demonstrating meekness. What an act of humility. So meekness then has no confidence in the flesh, but has every confidence in the Lord. Meekness really is, is power surrendered to the Lord. You don't abuse the power that you have. You surrender it to the Lord that he might distribute that and lead you in that with the strength that you've been given for good that results in him getting glory from our lives. When your confidence is truly in the Lord, what happens? Then you don't need to retaliate. You are also willing to entrust yourself to him who acts justly. So meekness in that sense is also long-suffering. Meekness desires to forgive uh, Matthew Henry, he said, it, he said it this way, the meek are those who'd rather forgive 20 injuries than revenge one. I'll let that sit up there for a few seconds too. Meekness, long-suffering, would rather forgive 20 injuries against them than to try to revenge or avenge just, just one. So the world thinks the meek are lost. The world thinks the meek are forgotten. The world thinks the meek are a bunch of losers bunch of wimps. They don't get it. They don't get it. Jesus actually says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So not only are the meek not losers, the meek, in this sense, are the greatest winners the world has ever known. They will inherit the earth. They will become co-heirs of Jesus Christ himself. Because the meek have Christ, they have everything. Listen, they suffer now, they reign forever. Blessed are the meek, both now and Forever. So maybe just by way of application before we move on from this point here, what should we do when it comes to blessed are the meek? Here's what I am seeking to do in my life as I just pass on to you. I want to repent of every sin that the Lord has revealed to me right now. This week and right now as I reflect on such truths of meekness and how I'm not meek, I want to repent of every sin that I can think of. I want to rectify the wrongs in my life as the Lord leads me and by his grace I want to renew myself in the Lord. I want to renew myself now towards a greater pursuit of these things which he promises to bless, and I'm going to believe and focus on the reward to come. Okay? I'm going to repent. I want to rectify wrongs. I want to re renew myself in the Lord, and I'm going to focus on the reward that is to come that uh, I and you shall inherit the earth as we seek the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we are guaranteed the blessing to fill our lives. 
Guaranteed, 100%, if we do that sincerely and authentically. So, if I want God's blessing, I must understand the magnitude of meekness. Number two is this. If I want God's blessing, I must hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not as long on this point. This is such an important verse, but what can you do? Here we are. We're going through it. I pray it'll be encouragement to you. Verse 6. Look at verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So, a good insight into these verses is this. So if we look at the chronological order of the Beatitudes, now we see as important as poor in spirit, mourning, and meekness are, it's not good enough to stop there. The one leads to the next, right? It's not enough to mourn over sin. Listen, listen, listen. We must also hunger after righteousness, So it's one thing to be stopped in my tracks and mourn over sin and be broken in spirit, but just to stand here and weep over sin, as beautiful as that is, is not enough. I must now stop against sin, mourn, and turn now and pursue, go after hunger for the righteousness only found in Jesus Christ. Make sense? So can't just mourn. From here now, I don't want to be this anymore. Now I move towards hungering for that which truly satisfies and blesses me, which is, again, the righteousness of God within my life. Also to um, verse 6, it's no exaggeration to say this, that our lives are so primarily determined by that which we hunger for. What do you hunger for? That's what determines your direction. That's what shows your heart. That's what reveals your motives. Like, ask that question right now. What are you hungering for? What am I hungering for within my life? That will determine the path I walk in. We feed ourselves on that which we hunger for. Men who are hungering in lust will feed themselves on pornography. That's how it works. Women that are lusting and longing after gossip will feed themselves in despicable material online or with others. We pursue the things that we think will satisfy us. We hunger for ungodliness or unrighteousness. Our lives will bear the fruit of ungodliness and unrighteousness and misery. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, and this is where satisfying comes in. I mean, we can break this down very simply, right? The person who fills their diet and hungers for junk food and sugar-laden soda, what's the end result? Well, they will suffer. Just physiologically, they will suffer. The person who hungers for drugs and alcohol as their main ambition, the suffering is, is absolutely guaranteed. We are hungering for that which ultimately destroys us. The person spiritually who feeds themselves on the world, they feed themselves on the things of Worldliness, ungodliness, Satan's direction, lies, deception. What happens? Well, their lives will be empty, hollow, and they will be feeding themselves with a disastrous diet of destruction. This is what we know to be true. They find themselves empty. They find themselves hollowed out. They find themselves surrounded in misery. This is all around us right now, right? This is the path the world is taking us in. We just don't want to sugarcoat it. want to say it like it is. The path of the world in our society right now, in our day, that's, that's just the spirit of the age, the spirit of Satan, the demonic influences, the darkness all around us. They're leading hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people down a path of emptiness, hollowness, and misery. 
because they're feeding that on which is not the opposite of Christ, and therefore the result of that will be an absolute disaster, and hence we have so much despair, so much depression, so much addiction, so much suicides, and on and on. It's just a, a culture of death resulting from the philosophy, again, of our day. There's a hunger and thirst for unrighteousness. But what happens? When someone takes seriously their physical health and well-being, when they change their diet, let's, let's say practically physically right now, they cut out the garbage, they begin to eat that which is healthy. I mean, personally, I'm amazed again and again and again, when you start to pursue a healthy diet, you think differently, you feel differently, you sleep differently, you, you, you live differently. My wife, Jill, she actually got a degree in nutrition, and so try living with that. Actually, she's very, she's, she's very gracious with me. I wish she was harder on me throughout the years, whatever, but she's really, she's really disciplined in that regard. She just knows everything behind me. Like, teach me more, please. Teach me more, whatever. But it's amazing. You change the physical diet, and you start to, you start to live. You know what I'm talking about. You start to live and feel differently, like it's quite something. How much more spiritually now is this true? And for so many of us right now, like this, this is so important for the direction of our lives is determined by our spiritual diet. We must hunger and thirst for righteousness because only there we are satisfied. Let's again, I love me, I'm a simple guy, right? Let's make it really, really simple, okay? Let's understand the Bible teaches us. Ready? Everyone listening, everyone listening. Sin never wins. Ever. But so many of us, so I've been pastoral ministry now for 25 years, okay? And I'm dealing with my own sin my whole life, okay? Sin does, it always promises success. It never delivers, ever. How many pastoral meetings have I walked out on for 25 years and I walk out or come home and I just say to my pastor friend here or my wife Jill, whatever, sin ruins everything. I hate sin so much. It's just these people, they think, if I go have an affair, then somehow that's going to make my life better. You idiot! It never works out that way. You get what you want for a couple of minutes of physical satisfaction, and everything else unfolds around you. I'm just like, it drives me mental. Come on now. Sin never, ever wins. But we, we, we literally convince ourselves on a daily basis, no, no, I'm going to be the first one that sin blesses. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. It, you can't thwart this biblical theological reality, which is eternal. Sin never, ever wins. And the foolishness of the human, the arrogance of the human heart, the pride, the lust, the insatiable appetite to fill self against the very commands of God. It just, man, it's devastating. I'm telling you, every day we have to remind ourselves, like men, women, children, like you're, you know, some youth here right now, and you're on the verge of doing something disastrous in your life, making some horrible decisions. Like, you've got to stop and just say, okay, this is not, I think this is going to work. This is not going to work. This is not, there's no way that this is going to be blessed. Yeah, but I feel like it right now. Well, you're, you're really dumb. And that feeling will last for like 30 seconds or maybe like a day or whatever, and then it's gone. And then you're left with the consequences of that physical pleasure that you just so had to have. See, I get a little animated over this stuff because it's killing lives. Like wrecking families, marriages, young people. 
And I was like, listen, man. He's like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For only then will you be satisfied. Only then. Well, the Bible says, man, my favorite verses, you know, in the Psalms, Psalm 34, taste and see the Lord is good. Hunger on him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So we are 20 years as a church this year, as you probably know by now, 20 years of grace, we're calling it. And this is such a good timing for this hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the prayers that we started with in year one was from A.W. Tozer on the screen for you here. And this is a symbol or this is a significant prayer of hunger that set the tone for our church in year one and I pray continues on in year 20 and Lord willing for many, many decades to come. Tozer at the end of his first chapter in the pursuit of God, a book that shaped our church. He had this prayer and we've passed this out time and time and time and time again. This encapsulates verse six entirely. God, I've tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. Because only you satisfy, Lord. Only you satisfy me, okay? I love this. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. This is a huge line for all of us right now. Lord, I am ashamed of my lack of desire for you. Just to confess that. Lord, I have not hungered for you. I have not thirsted for you. I am ashamed of that reality. And then this section, how many times have we prayed this prayer in this church over the years? Lord, not, not, not I want you. I want to want you. Not I thirst. We can't all say that right now. I'm in a place I'm thirsting like crazy. No, but I thirst to thirst. I long to long for you and to be made more thirsty still, God, because only you can satisfy. The world stinks. Jesus Christ is awesome. Show me your glory, I pray, so that I may know you indeed. I gotta see your glory, Lord. When I see your glory and the beauty, begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Then by your grace, let me rise up and follow you. I love this last phrase from this misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. Many of us may be in a misty lowland right now. And we gotta go up and just say, man, this is the prayer. This is, the, you, you can find this like online in two seconds if you want to find this prayer. Type in any one of these phrases, A.W. Tozer. This, this is the prayer that can change our lives forever. You're not saying I'm here, I've arrived. You're saying, Lord, I'm actually ashamed of my lack of desire, but I want to want you. I thirst to thirst. I'm done with the ridiculous of the world. You're the one who gives grace. You're the one who satisfies. You're the only one who can ultimately meet my need. You and your righteousness is who I hunger for. It's no coincidence then that Jesus uses the metaphor of food, huh, to symbolize everlasting life. Two verses on the screen for you, John 6. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. They will be eternally satisfied. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, him alone, he is the answer, shall never thirst. You will be satisfied forever, ultimately, being saved from sin, rescued from death. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, I love this, here's the promise, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Wow, wow, wow. So we hunger and thirst for righteousness found in Christ, a desired holiness in him, and the satisfaction that fills our life, and then the rivers of living water 
that flow from our lives to bless others around us in the satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I just want you to see this again today so clear. Satisfaction ultimately is only found in Jesus. Righteousness is only ultimately found in Jesus. Blessing is ultimately only found in Jesus. Another way to summarize this verse here today, and some really our verse is, is this. Ready? Happiness, which we all desire. Happiness, defined in Scripture, happiness follows holiness. It's not the other way around. Happiness follows holiness. Holiness is found in Jesus. Jesus. And then the last word in verse 6. The last word in verse 6 is satisfied. They will be satisfied. When I was saved at the age of 22 after living a fruitless life, desperately trying to find the satisfaction of the world, completely bottomed out, emptied out, ran aground, hit up on rocks, hated who I was, hated my life, had no answers, finally turned and looked up to Jesus Christ for the first time ever. The moment I truly saw Jesus Christ, I was absolutely flabbergasted, blown away, could not comprehend fully the satisfaction that Jesus Christ gives. And I pray I'm still not over it. No one equates to the life, joy, and blessing of Jesus Christ. And then now, it's the hope of the reward to come that day. Hey, hey, the satisfaction, like even driving here this morning, listening to a a worship song on the return of Christ, and the flash of lightning in the sky, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus Christ appears, and in that day, and I thought it was a lot because we're supposed to, and Jesus Christ comes, how satisfied will you be in that moment? How satisfied will you be in that moment when Jesus Christ appears, however it's going to come, and the whole world stops and looks up and recognizes the Lord of glory is coming. How satisfied will you be in that moment? Wallets drop. iPhones drop. Praise the Lord. Eh? Golf, golf clubs drop. Praise the Lord. Car keys drop. Praise the Lord. Bank statements drop. Praise the Lord. Right? Future ambitions drop. None of that matters. None, not one thing matters anymore. And all that matters is him and the satisfaction that comes. Everything else I mentioned now is nothing. He is everything. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the hungry for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Man, he's dropping it down in this sermon right now. Like he's dropping it down in the Beatitudes. How will we respond? Let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, let us respond with humility and meekness today. With hunger and thirsting for righteousness today. I love this church. I love these people. I love their attentiveness to you. And I believe their love for you. But I also believe, Lord, you want to do a greater work in each of us. I believe that. I believe you want us to see you more clearly and to love you more dearly. Even now, Lord, what are we hungering for which is a disaster in our lives? How can we turn from that now and hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ and his righteousness, the only one who truly satisfies? Again, I just encourage you so much, brothers and sisters, today, if the Lord has made something clear to you, Do not hesitate. Act upon it. Act upon it. Throw some sin in the garbage and pursue Jesus Christ. You will not be disappointed ever. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.